understanding that there's not anybody you know, even as successful as they they may be, that that knows all the answers. They have a, a confidence in their abilities. They have an excitement behind some of their ideas. But I think as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, or a having that realization, I think sort of demystifies this idea of really successful people. And it gives you a little bit more permission. For me, it was a, a sort of an epiphany. You're listening to the Ecom Exits Podcast with your host, Nate Ginsberg. Learn the best tips and tactics to improve profits, cash flow, and maximize your e-commerce business value on the way to a successful exit. Welcome to the show. Hello. Welcome back, podcast listeners. I'm joined today by Troy Johnston, co-founder of Seller Tools, has a really amazing story, been in the space for a really long time, went from seller to consulting to now SaaS. Great story. Excited to dive into it. A lot of great nuggets to share. So Troy, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Nate. Really appreciate you having me on. Yeah. So take us back, please, to the beginning, you know, at the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey. What was your, your first business and, and how did you get started? Yeah. So I, I sort of stumbled into uh, Amazon FBA is what I have to thank for really opening my eyes to more entrepreneurial pursuits. I come from a far more conservative background, working more sort of corporate roles. And prior to seeing this opportunity that is a physical product business, I was a a project manager for a digital marketing firm that focused on uh, hoteliers, travel industry, that type of thing, which was great. I enjoyed it. It was kind of a, it was a company, a space, a niche that was, yeah, it was sort of a fun working environment. You can almost think of it like an, an agency. So I was comfortable, not overly excited by the things I was doing, but I was good at as a, as a project manager. And this opportunity of, of FBA kind of presented itself to me through looking at different side hustles. At that point in time, I was looking at what are different ways that I can make some money on top of the work that I was doing. And actually, it was through joining a real estate investing community that the head of that community was a affiliate for ASM during some of the early... I always forget whether it's ASM 2 or ASM 3, but one of the really early... ASM rounds where again this this FBA opportunity where it was still sort of unproven you know we were hearing rumblings of it there wasn't these major examples of people exiting for seven you know eight figures and so on a whim this affiliate was presenting this opportunity where an angel investor will come in and give you the seed capital for initial inventory and then just a little bit of excess to continue to kind of cash flow and grow the grow the business and yeah on a whim I, I submitted my why I'd be a good fit for this angel investor why I could take advantage, come in and take the course. And that was some of the capital too, they would pay for for ASM. Did it over a weekend, found out I won won this opportunity to get the angel investor backing. And that really was like the major push to kick off ASM, to really get into the physical product space, know it it kind of intimately. And I think it kind of lit a fire under me in terms of being a little bit more conservative of, okay, now I've got somebody else's money to run this business, to learn what you know FBA is all about. And was fortunate enough too in my network at that time to have really close entrepreneurial friends that were kind of like, why not? Go for it. Like do this, do this thing, get a little bit out of your comfort zone. 
And uh, that was really the start. It was, it was a few things kind of falling into place, my network kind of encouraging me to get going. And since then, really haven't looked back. Now, now I'm a, a full-blown quote-unquote entrepreneur, but, but that was really the start of things. I have FBA really to thank for kicking things off and a, a bunch of really weird events, things I would never, never do. You know, somebody were to ask me, you know, 10 years ago, five years before this, this even occurred is, which was a little bit more conservative, a little bit more risk averse, hard worker for sure, but just a little bit more of the, let's say more traditional path in my career. Well, it sounds like an amazing opportunity then that you had to at least less risk by, you know, first getting involved with with an investor. And and so, and I mean, I didn't even know that people were investing in that, you know, I mean, now investing in FBA is the hottest thing, but had no idea that back at ASM two or three or whatever it was that people were, you know, thinking of of doing that already. I mean, what was the investor familiar with e-commerce or Amazon, or they were just an angel investor and looking to, you know, place bets as angel investors do. Yeah. I mean, I, I have to give him uh, credit. I think he saw the the opportunity that was FBA at that time. But it, I mean, it really, if you, if you put yourself back in that sort of that time of, because we talk about this a lot, because I think a lot of people look on FBA's early days of, oh, it was so easy. You could just launch and rank so easily, but it was so, it lacked the proof of concept. And I think for that angel investor, for somebody to come in and not be an operator, provide the capital and to see the potential, I think, yeah, whether it was a confidence in in me or just the space, I think it was really kind of a gamble, honestly, at that point in time, but really, really smart brilliant person that came in. It was great to me because I at, at one point did did buy him out of the of the business as it was growing because obviously he had an equity share as part of the deal. But but yeah, I mean it was really even for me. We're, we're all sort of going into this saying we hope this works because you know we're we're sort of figuring out the validity of this type of model in the relatively early days. Yeah, sure. After you you got the investor, got ASM, whatever early one it was, and uh, you know what what happened from there? Yeah, and it was towards the end of the year I believe it was towards the end of 2014. And so it was a little bit slow going initially as I was wrapping up the year coming into 2015. I wasn't quick to... I was slowly doing some product research, vetting different product opportunities, getting stuff shipped in from China. So a lot of things I was taking a look at weren't going to be viable options. And so my coworker at the time at the the agency that I was working at, he started to get more and more involved. And he and I were, were starting to kind of begin pushing each other of like, okay, let's, let's, let's really do this and be, be quite aggressive with it. And where I'm more conservative, far more aggressive, my friend at the time, somebody who's now quite successful in the FBA space was far more willing to take chances and, and to take some risks. And that was really great for me again, to kind of break that seal, be willing to, you know, explore uh, more new opportunities. So coming into the new year, we were being far, far more intentional of what are some home run plays, things that we can do that are you know, really big plays in the space. And it was something small, the same real estate group where they were submitting like PDFs of viable product opportunities. And for some reason, we were looking at these these oils, these organic oils as really viable product opportunities. And he and I, smartly or, or, or not, decided to both get into that that space. And that really got the ball rolling of, of us both getting into beauty 
at that time, which was great. It was domestically sourced products. The the USPs were really clear to me. So from the start, it was a lot easier than a lot of the products I was getting out of China where I was I was kind of it was less than my zone of knowledge, I would say, but that really kicked things off because then then my mind started to think, okay, if I'm bringing beauty products, I understand what's truly unique about them. I know, you know, I know how I can build a better customer experience through these types of products. And that was really the start. Kicking off 2015 was really when things started to take off and that more aggressive stance. I was sourcing oils, serums, you know, I was getting into uh, different gels, moisturizers, and doing so very quickly, very rapidly. I was looking at strategic partners at that time and really growing from that from that center. But yeah, that's really how how it started to kick off. I, I, it was it was very beneficial to have somebody really encouraging that being more risk averse. And then once you once you find that that product that has that viability, it gets really exciting too. Because then once you once it lands on Amazon, you start seeing this momentum. It builds your confidence again, as, especially as a first time. Other businesses not being as successful, this was a really great validation of okay, this model does truly work. I've got the support, and then you know it was a matter of continuing to be aggressive strategically. So, so yeah, curious more about the, you said exploring strategic partnerships when things were starting to get traction and like, what, what were you thinking about? How did you approach that? I mean, I love strategic partnerships <laughs> and, you know, I think it's an amazing way to, it's just great to working together with people and have more success and grow faster, better, easier. And yeah, I, I guess what, you know, in the context of growing your FBA business, like what kind of strategic partnerships were you exploring or did you explore? Yeah, as, as soon as I started to begin sourcing some of these some of these products, I started with some of the oils. Essentially, every vendor that I was working with, I was seeking some sort of some sort of opportunity that had a greater mutual benefit. And I think this again, it, it helped indirectly to sort of see with with my close friend at the time, who was also in beauty, of you know sort of making sure that those relationships weren't purely transactional. And so I was really endearing myself to these vendors and thinking, hey, I have this one product, I'm thinking of extending my line to other supplemental products. I see you offer this. And that was where I could really grow my line rapidly. But then also for for a lot of the R&D and development of, of new products, you know, I would go to those same vendors and say, hey, this is great. We've got these organic, fresh oils. We have a, something kind of unique in the market, but I'd love to develop and craft something unique with you as well. And that 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 does both things, right? You get a little bit of preference for the core offering and some of the things that are that like I said could just be transactional. But then I we also got preference where like, hey, we were we were the the brand that wanted to develop new and unique products. And they get excited by that. You know, a lot of a lot of our vendors were really receptive to that idea of us going back to them and saying, hey, you know, we're growing, we're thinking of this. Would you be a good a good partner. Yeah. And then just building building closer relationships that also include packaging where their relationships, their subsequent relationships and the other vendors that they work with, that was able to help us realize some cost savings from there. So in many cases, it was taking some of our existing partners and just figuring out you know, what's exciting for them. What do they enjoy doing? And then we knew, I knew at that point in time, it just made sense to create a, a true routine to build off of the, the existing product mix and kind of grow from that center. So yeah, it really it really served us. I, I can think of at least two vendors where we had a unique relationship where we realized packaging cost savings. We were looking at different ways that we could prioritize a lot of our R and D, and it helped for the speed to market. That speed to implementation was was big for us too. Helped the brand scale and and what we we did in two years. I would imagine for other brands would take another four or five years just in terms of the product life cycle and the true development and the ongoing testing. So you mentioned getting you know preferential, I guess like speed, you know, with the vendors you were working with, was there any sort of financial or, you know, cash 
flow benefits or arrangements with them because I mean, FBA businesses, you're, you know, growing, expanding fast. That's very expensive. And like, did you have any special relationships with your vendors that were able to help support your growth? And enable while managing your cash flow. Yeah, yeah, I would say on on two fronts because the way we were able to consolidate some of our instead of it being product packaging these separate nodes in your kind of logistics, we were able to consolidate where our vendor was essentially a one stop shop. We were able to get packaging, we were able to get product, we were able to still then develop new products, and then it was a matter of getting them you know things like labels, very small things that you can buy in volume, and it made cash flow that much that much easier to manage. And then there was the the kind of the negotiation and alignment on payment terms. And and so when you had both of those, it made it far more advantageous. And then domestically sourced, we're not talking about these extremely long lead times. This is why I have a really big bias to, to domestically sourced products, which leads to you know supplements and beauty and that type of thing. But yeah, it, it was always really interesting to see that too, especially as first-time sellers were going through a lot of their challenges with sourcing from China, India, other other locations and dealing with you know two, three-month lead times and more cash flow crunches. It was nice. It was nice to have to, have to deal with that quite as much. Cool. So, all right. So the business has taken off. You have these, you know, vendor partners. At what point did you and the, your, your, the original angel investor kind of split ways or what was the, the context around? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned buying them out. Yeah. I think when we were getting to a place, I think at that point in time too, we had I want to say around five or six SKUs. So there wasn't a a ton of products on the market, but we had some clear winners, some products that were sort of taking off fairly organically. They didn't need a lot of pushes to really sustain their visibility and the revenue that they were generating. So I kind of could see, I I could see we had this model, we had these great vendor relationships, we had quality products. And so it was a opportunity for me like to pull them aside and say, Hey, you know, what do I need to do? You see what's kind of going on here. I understand our arrangement initially. And at the end of the day, it was very receptive. It was it was something where I was very fortunate on both ends of, of how the initial setup and configuration was to, to lead to the opportunity. But then his openness to kind of say, okay, I, I get it. Obviously, I want to return on my money. And I kind of closed that loop. It was a great deal. I think he ended up, you know, for 6Xing, I think his money, his initial investment. So he did all right. I, I still got to see, of course, all the upside as, as the business was, was doing well, cash, you know, bringing in income and then the ultimate acquisition. So it was a win-win at the end of the day. Definitely a learning lesson in this type of business. I hadn't taken on an agent investor before either. So, you know, the idea of somebody who initially you don't, you're not supposed to know who it is and they stay behind the scenes and it's, it's essentially just capital an agreement on paper. So the timing was good for it. I think that the timing of the conversation, the return that he realized, me kind of freeing myself from now, now it's it's all on me. I don't have anybody else who has an equity stake in the company. Very much freeing. It stinks to lose that that little bit of extra money, but it was good. It was good. I think it it was a good scenario at the end of the day for both of us. Seemed like it. I mean, as an angel investor, you know, most of your bets don't pay out anything, let alone four, five, six X, whatever it is. And yeah, I mean, it sounds like a, just like a reasonable person and understanding. And I mean, I'm now a part of a you know a handful of different partnerships. And yeah, you know, it's one thing like what the agreement is, and there's that does matter is important. But you know, at the end of the day, it's still you know two people or however many people involved. And and the way that I approach it, which sounds like both you and your investor is. You know, always just looking for the win wins for you, for them, for everyone. And yeah, glad you're able to to get that sorted. And so after that, then the business is growing. And you know, what kind of I kind of walk me through from maybe that point. And then I know then you eventually then sold that brand or those brands that, that you were building. 
Yeah. So really on the other side of that, I think it was it was also a phase of the business where, you know, I remember formally stepping away from my company because for the longest time I was sticking with my full-time job and then doing this on the side and sort of had made up the my mind of the numbers were just going to make sense. I was going to make sure that for myself, for my family, everything was, you know, I was making enough income to substantiate the transition away from from that employment. So I'm curious back to like that, that moment of, cause I know that's, I mean, a, a, a huge decision and you mentioned being, you know, more so conservative. And so I'm sure this was, it's a big deal. And I'm, you know, right. guessing that it was, it was a good job, I'm sure. And, and had different benefits and, and security. And, and so, yeah, like what was it like stepping away or kind of the thought process and, you know, what finally led you to take the full-time leap into your business? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think, you know, for me, and as I look at, at, you know, sellers and, and those that are, are considering that same type of transition, transition today is you, you have to sort of make it non-emotional. And that's really what I tried to do. It, it is inherently emotional, but you have to make every effort to just sort of quantify, okay, what is my, what is that inflection point of where I'm comfortable? And it makes sense monetarily numbers on paper for me to make this transition reality. And that's really what I did is, is I had, I was seeing this growth and progression. I was seeing the numbers start to hit where I needed them to be for those important points, you know, just kind of my total compensation. What was I making? What were my benefits? What, what did my outlay need to be to make sure that I felt good with that? That change I mean, was it something like your income from your FBA business, you know, matched or was greater, or some portion of your your salary, or like, like was there a certain number metric that you had where it's like, all right, once things are at this place, then I can you know walk away from the from the job. Yeah, no, you're spot on. It was it was to match what I was making at that point in time. Now I still went to my boss and I I, I proposed a hey, I need to be making this to continue working here, mm-hmm. and uh, you know. You, you sort of leave that to chance. And that's kind of what I was doing is this is an opportunity for me to say, hey, if you still want to have me on on team, on on board, this is the number I need to be at. And try to make that non-emotional too. Even if you have great relationships with your team members, your boss, I think it's the willingness to kind of say, this is the dollars and cents of it. Like at the end of the day, we're, we're all in business. You know, you, you can have great relationships and maintain those, but it really boils down to, and honestly, having an open conversation at that point in time, I was starting to bring some of the people I was working with and say, hey, this is the stuff that we're doing. This is really exciting, you know, and and a lot of them were getting excited about the idea as well. But yeah, it was just being willing to to have that conversation, say this is just the this is transparently financially, this is the things that I need mm-hmm. where I'm at and what I'm considering kind of doing next. So after you you had the conversation with your boss, you quit. Like as you're walking out of that office, like how do you feel? Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I. Putting myself back in those shoes, I think there was still a lot of a lot of fear around it, which in some ways was unfounded because the business was doing quite well. And I mean, again, at dollars and cents of it, I could logically see it. And that's where, again, I think you have to try to remove as much emotion from it as you can, uh, as you're able. But it was kind of life-changing to, to go through that because, again, I, I was somebody who was working multiple jobs in college, work, like work, work, predictable work and security was kind of the, the runway leading up to that that moment. So it was definitely big for me, but it was a life changing, not to, not to dramatize it or anything like that, but it was life changing to, to like finally step away from work, but like objectively that is life changing. I think that's very, (laughs) very appropriate uh, way to phrase that. And, and yeah, I mean, good, good for you to, you know, take the leap and, and seems like it's worked out well. So, so yeah. So, so after that, and then, yeah, the business kept growing. And I guess at what point did you, I guess kind of how, how did the acquisition come about? Yeah. The, the brand really, when I was beginning, 
beginning to take seriously the idea of it being acquired, it was roughly, I want to say around 25 SKUs where I was looking at and starting to have more conversations with potential companies that wanted to acquire the business. So is this like talking to brokers or like what types of conversations were, were you having around, you know, potential exits? Yeah, it was some brokers. The other conversations were a lot of some of the outbound interest that I was getting that for the most part, I was kind of tabling. Yeah, because it can be very distracting if you're always... And I, I experienced that when I was ready to have the brand acquired is that it's actually pretty intensive. You know, I, there was times where I was driving down to Miami or I was having you know multiple phone calls or it becomes kind of a, a bandwidth constraint. When you really entertain, you know, all of these kind of suitors for for your brand, which I mean, not not the worst problem to have necessarily, but but looking back on it, I, I know that was. And then you're having different conversations, how different people are valuing your business or seeing the future, what's really got them interested in the brand. So we're starting to have a lot more of those conversations. You know, really the best uh, match for the brand. It really came about somewhat organically through an event that I was at. I, I was starting to share more broadly in my network. Hey, I'm interested. I'm considering the acquisition uh, of the brand. And uh, and that's really kind of how it lined up. So I was doing all this work and kind of scrambling around and putting together sheets and preparing for you know potential due diligence and all that good stuff. And then this kind of fell fell in, in my lap organically. And the, that brand got acquired by somebody I was following. And it was also a connector in our network that was bringing together a lot of really smart people. So at the end of the day, it, it worked out. It was the right people I wanted to have come in that saw kind of the bigger vision, understood Amazon. Yeah. I'd like to think put it in better hands because there were other opportunities where it was, it was again, more dollars and cents. And I kind of let myself be a little bit more emotional because your business is kind of like your baby, right? Like when you hand it off to somebody, you're, you're giving off a piece of something you've committed yourself to. Yeah. How long was it from the start until your acquisition? It was just under about two and a half years where I really took things seriously. Like I said, it was a little little slow going initially. Time of the year, it was kind of more in the holidays. I was still working full time. I kind of gave myself a little bit of a pass. But once things really started ramping up and I, I took it very seriously, it was about two and a half years. And so what happened after you sold, had this big payday? Mm-hmm. Like, how'd you feel then? Yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was a lot. It was a lot of things kind of all at once. It, it was really great to finally complete that step of getting the docs executed, transitioning everything. My transition away from the brand was relatively relatively quick, but that I think that kind of hastened a lot of the emotion and a lot of the sort of the feelings behind realizing that event. And once I was done, once once the dust sort of settled, you know, it was it was a lot mentally to kind of grapple with this thing that you've built from nothing. You've put a lot of, you know, blood, sweat and tears into it and you've you've now handed it off. And then you start to wonder, well, what's next? And, you know, who am I now that I don't have that? And it was tough. It was honestly really tough times. I really struggled on the other side of realizing the acquisition. And I went through, I mean, it was months and months of mental challenges. You know, I thought it was health issues. And I really, honestly, just really had a hard time kind of grappling with it. And it's always, it's always the worst, Nate, because then, you, you, you know, you have all of this financial return and you know how you feel you should feel, right? Because you have this big thing that's, oh man, now I can, you know, now I can step away. I can retire. I can, I can take a massive amount of time off. And that's what everybody wants, right? But I really grappled, you know, had issues with kind of realigning myself and centering a little bit. So, you know, I, I honestly don't share that very often, but I think it's an important story for many people to hear of there's, I don't know what the takeaways are, but it's it, for me, my journey, it's been more finding gratitude and not needing 
something that you haven't found yourself, if that makes sense. Totally. And I mean, I, you know, have experienced similar things with, you know, through my own, you know, post exit. And, and, and yeah, and I mean, I think like some of the takeaways are that time and money aren't the only objectives. And like, yeah, I mean, I think time and money, they provide for freedom, which is definitely important and valuable, but it's not just about having total freedom. And I mean, that was me. Like, you know, when I sold my business some years ago and you know, I was living all over the world for, you know, the period after that and, you know, had money and, you know, I just like go do yoga in the morning and have, you know, a, you know, clean day. And like, you think, oh, like that's the dream. And yeah, I mean, like there were nice parts about it, but I realized, you know, quite quickly as a think you did as well, that like, there's, there's more to life than not having anything to do. <laughs> and, 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 and so, yeah, you know, that, you know, for me, it was a lot of deeper journeys that I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still on of, you know, what's important and, and, you know, what really should I be doing? And I mean, that's a whole rabbit hole that we can spend uh, <laughs> a, a long time going down. But so, so what happened? So then after the exit, you know, you, you have all this trying to wrestle with these heavy questions about what to do and, and what you should do. And so what, you know, I guess, yeah, what did you do coming out of that? Yeah, I mean, I was uh, was very fortunate, and I've I've been very fortunate. I think throughout throughout this journey, is I had a really great network of friends and business friends as well, and so there was opportunities kind of at an arm's reach for me to kind of pick things back up if and when I was was ready. But I needed to kind of recenter a little bit, and you know, a lot of us, myself included, get a lot of meaning from work, so it sort of helped to stabilize me again to pick things up, and that's what led me to get in more into consulting advising is a lot of brands looking at what we did, you know, interested in hyper growth, seeing some of the same kind of competitive challenges that we were running into really growing our brand was coming in and kind of filling the need there. And that that was great on both fronts, like I said, of kind of realizing a little bit of that transition myself, getting a little bit more stability. But then, you know, when you do what you really enjoy and it's it doesn't uh, completely engulf your life, that's good. That's always it. I've, I've learned that too in terms of some amount of balance uh, as well. So that led to me doing more, more advising. And I really enjoyed that because for me, what was always good, and this is where in terms of the project management skill set, a little bit of the systems thinking is that when I'm already kind of outside and looking in, that's the best, one of the best ways for me to use sort of my skill set of really evaluating the, the pieces in place. Play, the resources, the opportunities, the challenges, and, and create sort of an action plan. So I really, really enjoyed that because that, that was a perfect marriage of, at the time, one of the brands I was working with, they were actually about to realize their acquisition as well. So they were doing a lot of that sort of internal auditing to realize more operational excellence and cost savings, but then Amazon FBA, you know, knowledge at a high level too. So yeah, it was it was a little bit after that time of moving on to that type of business, which was was still sort of new. I had consulting is very nuanced in the sense of where the line is, because I'm somebody who likes to implement and get my hands dirty, but I learned very quickly kind of better to to be the voice and the guide instead of the operator. So it came with its own kind of unique, unique set of challenges. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I share some of those sentiments, and, and and also one thing that like it's you know there's for so many people that they're you know working in the business they can be so you know you miss the forest for the trees sort of thing, and so for me to or or you to come into another business like you it's so much easier to just kind of you know notice things and and you know tweaks and improvements and and you know I know like I do this with friends of mine where you know we'll talk and it's so I can so clearly see what he needs to do. 
And, you know, and then vice versa, like, you know, I get all caught up with my whatever and what I think I should be doing. And then, you know, just to have another perspective that's not so, you know, in it. Yeah. I mean, lots of value. And I know I personally really enjoy that role. And like, I kind of like not being responsible for the, for the execution. And, but yes, you know, still being able to add value and, you know, kind of, yeah, you know, help and, and point out important things. So yeah. So as the consulting and then I guess, yeah, at, at what point did you, you know, make the leap into the software? Yeah, it, it was ironically enough, sort of the same same network and sort of similar events that led to my syncing up with the company and the guys that eventually acquired that brand connected with my now business partner, Brendan Morris, who was looking for really starting to substantiate some of the things that he was doing at Solar Tools. And at that point in time, it was really more tools that he was developing for himself internally for his own brands, kind of solving his own seller challenges. And he and I uh, and our other business partner sort of having that conversation of, okay, how do we make this more broadly available? Is there an opportunity here to create a, uh, a really powerful set of tools? And so we synced up We synced up at an event and started to kind of spitball more of those ideas. Some of the needs, again, that he has of, of like more the biz dev, more the operational pieces. And you know that spirit, I think, of solving sellers challenges was a lot of the things that we we tried to make sure to implement in the foundation of the the company and the platform. So we got started and working pretty pretty hard on that and uh, yeah that's been now I want to say about 3 years that we've since its inception where it moved from sort of these internal behind the scenes tools to then at the early stages we were you know we were doing keyword research and data and all this you know all these types of kind of intensive activities for sellers to now what we do and today where it's it's been a, a pretty interesting evolution in terms of now a focus more on automation you know some of the things that we do with mini chat yeah it's been uh SaaS is, SaaS is an interesting, in the same way. I mean, I, I, again, I probably find it uniquely interesting, but from, from each one of those phases of seller to consultant now to SaaS, it's, it's equally nuanced in some of the challenges and, and opportunities as well. So, so what was it? I mean, you, you mentioned the, you know, seller tools going through a couple different phases, evolutions, and, you know, what or when was it when things kind of, you know, clicked or you fell into this, whatever currently has been working? <laughs> like what, talk me through how you got there. Yeah, I would say really for the first year and a half, almost two years, we were very much, we were very heavily steeped in a lot of the data aggregation, a lot of the optimization, very much foundational strategies for sellers. But I don't feel like we've, we felt like we could continue to kind of innovate. And it's really been this last really year and a half, uh, full year where it has really been to me, very innovative strategies that we've been able to deploy and get away from a lot of the frustrations. I mean, when things like search volume go away from Amazon, you know, some of the things that they close down that are really key and essential to your suite of tools, it's really frustrating. But I mean, that's, that's FBA, right? Like we're, we're not immune to it on the, on the SaaS side as, as sellers aren't either. And so, yeah, we really, I think this, this evolution of foundational optimization, which we still have in terms of our core suite and Amazon sometimes extends those olive branches with things like brand analytics, where it's like, Hey, here's really powerful data. How are you going to use it? How are you going to display it? Make it actionable. And so that's really been the, the journey. The last year and a half, our business, like more than doubling and really growing and hitting its stride has been in major part to a lot of more advanced pieces. So taking that foundation and saying, okay, what, what can we do next? And then as we go into, you know, 2020, one and looking at looking ahead, it is what is even kind of more more innovative, innovative and evergreen on the ranking and review side. I think that's been big for us too. Is really the the eighty twenty kind of re- always bringing that back into the picture for the feature set. 
So yeah, I mean, you know, I know there's a variety of different functions and, you know, benefits with, with your tools, but like, you know, now, like, what would you say is your sweet spot? What makes your products or, you know, product suite unique and and why should somebody use seller tools versus, you know, some of the other uh, products that are out there? Yeah, I think I think the striving to automate ranking and reviews, which is our ultimate goal, I think that's what sellers that that should really hopefully resonate with with sellers, and that's really what we aim to do. Now, tactically, we do that with things like ManyChat with our API. We have sellers that use landing pages with our API, but ultimately, what they're just trying to do is realize ranking, so optimize sales, you know, against a keyword, and then the reviews being. The different ways in which, you know, whether it's through our Chrome extension, whether it's through, you know, many chat follow up, whether it's through inserts that tie into our API through many chat, you know, there's a lot of different tactical ways to do it. But if we can automate those really high ranking and reviews, high value seller activities, then we can still focus on the foundational thing. So that's really how I've seen our feature set sort of evolve is we have these core set of if you're going to sell anything on Amazon and you got to make the most of your real estate, We've, we still have you covered there in terms of keyword research, listing optimization, competitive analysis, alerts. So that way that volatility that we talk about, you know, okay, if a listing's down, out of stock, you know, adult tag's been added, any of those, whether it's malicious or just selling on Amazon activity that you've got yourself covered. You have the, the CYA in place. So yeah, I, I see us not losing that foundational piece, but what excites me and I know excites most of most of the folks that continue to come in and start using solo tools is a lot of the, the innovative pieces as well. Focus just on ranking and reviews. And that's that's you know the the drum that we beat internally, ranking and reviews. Like let's just center everything around this because that's that's gonna matter today, two years, five years, 10 years for a brand that's selling, a brand that's ready, you know, looking to be acquired. That's what's important to the people that are acquiring it too. You're you're selling on Amazon to get the visibility and the leverage that it provides. And we want to add fuel to that fire. Yeah. So, I mean, makes sense. You have like the, the foundational pieces that, you know, I'm mean, just thinking of, of those functions, you know, whether, you know, keyword rankings or, you know, search volumes or kind of things like important, but those are not growing the business. And it's, it's, it's almost, I mean, it's like not so differentiated. It's, it's more, okay. You just need to, you know, check that box, monitor your rankings, you know, need to be able to check search volumes, but, but where you can really differentiate is yeah. In the area that's helping people to launch more products rank better, get get more reviews. And so that as the area of keeping people covered with the basics foundation, but then where you can really excel and innovate is what's going to help them to grow the business. So yeah, so what, you know, you mentioned some working on some cool stuff for 2021. And so what what are you excited about coming into the yeah next year with you're working on with seller tools? Yeah, what I would maybe if we take that analogy of the foundation and now the innovation is sort of setting a new foundation of the, a lot of what we're doing now with notably with many chat, chat marketing platforms. And the, the value of those platforms is really engaging customers and really capturing more relevant customer and order data. That's immensely powerful for a number of reasons, but it gives ultimately it just gives sellers more control. And so we're we're sort of creating a new foundation, I think, there and thinking about how can we build on top of that. Trying to think of how I can share more without giving away <laughs> giving away the good stuff. But we've got a lot of really exciting things that really take what we do, and it, it's not perfect. I mean, it's like Amazon PPC. You know, any anything that you do for ranking reviews, you can view it as positively as you'd like. There's always opportunities to improve, and so that that for us is also a key part. Is 
is what can we tweak? What what little dials can we kind of tweak to make sure that everything is is really humming along, but then also really really supplement. I, I like that idea of this new foundation. That's that's really where we want to take things is chat marketing, you know, more customer information, building better relationships, but then also making sure that those Amazon objectives, ranking and reviews, we can just automate. We can just make it very streamlined uh, and efficient. Cool. So what question I'd like to ask our guests is if you a couple years into the future, two, three, something, whatever, everything's going well, what does that look like? What's the vision, you know, for for a few years into the future with seller tools or whatever you vision to be doing in, in three years from now? Yeah, I think for seller tools in particular, the way really the vision is to be part of a majority, if not all of Amazon product launches. There is a path, there's a way tactically, strategically, I think to, to get there. That would be definitely my vision is that it just becomes absolutely essential, immensely beneficial to sellers to utilize seller tools. And in the future, obviously right now I'm biased, but I think it does a great job of that now, but would love to continue to to have that that sort of unique offering there. Yeah. I think that's where I'd like things for seller tools. And then I've got a lot of work to do for continuing to invest. I enjoy enjoy investing in other really exciting companies, solving, you know, really unique challenges, unique problems. Yeah. And continuing to develop more on the on the, I have a little bit of this SaaS bug now. I feel like it's it's sort of like a sub niche of FBA, where you know FBA people we can kind of like wink and nod, and we we kind of like you're in the group. And the, the SaaS, it's kind of the same thing. So it's a fun space to be in. Yeah, and I think we've got a lot of lot of potential. I think there's so much synergy here where you know sellers and brands they they want to leverage so much on Amazon, but they're looking for that system approach and they're looking for that automation. So yeah, that's the, that's the fun stuff, fun challenges to try to solve too. Well, amazing. I mean, I think it's a really exciting time in the world for e-commerce, for Amazon and, and, and yeah. And I mean, I think that a lot of these trends that, you know, COVID had accelerated are, they're not going back to whatever that means things were before. I mean, mm. you, you know, some of these trends, e-commerce in particular. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, we've all seen the graphs of how, you know, the adoption curve getting jumped and, you know, Amazon obviously seeing a lot of growth this year. And, and yeah, you know, I think that it's going to be a really continue to be an exciting future for FBA, e-commerce in general, the service providers, softwares, tools that are supporting the ecosystem. And uh, yeah, this is super cool. So, so man, could dive deep into some more stuff and the investing, but, but yeah, I want to be respectful of your time. And so, so yeah, what maybe one last tip for sellers that, you know, maybe are interested in, in a similar path, having an exit, getting into some of these other things or tip about anything, you know, balls in your court. What would you like to share with sellers or, or any of the listeners out there? Yeah, I, I think, you know, something that comes to mind kind of reflecting a bit on my journey is, is I think something that really stood out to me and gave me more permission in terms of, you know, being taking more risks is understanding that there's not anybody, you know, even as successful as they, they may be that, that knows all the answers. And it gives you a little bit more permission when you have, for me, it was a, a sort of an epiphany because you see people, you know, we're talking about investments, really great, brilliant people that I'm, I'm, I'm excited to invest in, but I also know they don't, they don't have all the answers. They have a, a confidence in their abilities. They have an excitement behind some of their ideas. But I think as a business owner, as an entrepreneur or a having that realization, I think sort of demystifies this idea of really successful people of, oh, they've got it all figured out. They know all the answers. They can see three steps ahead. Like they've got it all sorted. And I think 
for me, that was always a big confidence builder and allowed me to make that transition to being a true entrepreneur. Now where we're running multiple businesses and like I said, investments are really exciting. And if somebody again was to ask, hey, Troy, 10 years ago, would this be the type of person you'd see? Probably not. No. They'd see me as a really great operator, somebody they'd hire. And you know, yeah, he would do great work. But would he create a vision that was maybe at, at first glimpse unrealistic? But I think, again, that's where building some excitement in your dreams and understanding that not everybody has it figured out. I don't know, big, big epiphany for me. And that that gave me then the freedom to then start getting really tactical. And then that's where I get to have fun with systems thinking, you know, finding my zone of, of excellence as well. And that's that's the other, I think, big takeaway is finding for yourself and whether it's in your 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 business and, and in life, find what you're really, really good at and just create an environment where that's a possibility. Whether that's hiring people, whether that's putting systems in place, whether it's removing non-essential things. Yeah. And it's always a lot more fun too when you're doing the things that you're you're good at. <laughs> yeah, I mean just to to echo that, I mean that's, you know, a big theme that I is so important in my life and I think for all entrepreneurs and it's something that I yeah, I mean with with a lot of my businesses really, you know, a, a goal of mine is to to help people with that. I mean, like you said, I think that all of us we have the things that we're we're great at and that we enjoy and that where we can add the most value and it's all of our best opportunities to do as much of that as we can. And, you know, get the other stuff that we don't enjoy and don't want to be doing. You know, there, there are other people that can do that, you know, probably better than you and a lot more enjoyable than you. And, and so, so yeah, like you said, you know, whether it's with team systems, software, build your business in a way that you can do the stuff that moves the needle, you know, what gives you energy, makes you happy. And uh, yeah, it just makes all business, business more fun. So certainly share your sentiments on that. And uh, yeah, man, this has been a super fun chat. Super cool hearing your, your journey from, from seller to consultant to software. And who knows, maybe maybe I'll uh, get into the software side. <laughs> I guess I have gone from seller <laughs> to consultant. Yeah, who knows, maybe maybe software one day. But, uh, but yeah, so for uh, any of the listeners, where can they find out more about you, seller tools, or anything about what you're up to? Yeah, so seller tools, if you are uh, interested in taking a look at the platform, it's at seller.com. Tools, and you can always reach out to us at hello at seller.tools. And we also have a, a really awesome Facebook group, FBA Kings, an awesome community there, sharing a lot of different strategies and feedback. And so I'm, I'm always uh, taking part in the conversation there as well. All right. Awesome. We'll uh, get the links in the show notes. And uh, thanks for coming on and excited to see what the next, uh, what the year and uh, the three year vision as well has in store. So thanks for coming on. Awesome. Thanks, Nate. Really appreciate it. This has been the Ecom Exits podcast with Nate Ginsberg. If you're enjoying the Ecom Exits podcast, show your support by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help other smart entrepreneurs find us. We appreciate your support. We have a new episode every week on the Ecom Exits podcast. So, catch you next time. <laughs>